There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people to see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could fight the battles that they never could. In 2018, the Marvel Cinematic Universe turns 10 years old, Avengers Infinity War draws near, and in an attempt to make sense out of all that's happened up to this point, we find two intrepid individuals. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate and mild-mannered comic book and podcast enthusiast, and Eddie Wilson, morning radio announcer in Sullivan County, upstate New York, with an inordinate amount of catching up to do in his own comic book universe. Alone, they stand apart. Duh. But together, they are the Marvelists. Cross the rainbow bridge of Asgard, where the booming heavens roar. You'll behold in breathless wonder the God of wonder, mighty Thor. When lame Dr. Donald Blake strikes his wooden walking stick upon the ground, it becomes the mystic mallet Mjolnir, and Blake is transformed into the Norse god of thunder, master of the storm and the lightning, heir to the throne of immortal Asgard, the mighty Thor. Welcome everyone to The Marvelous, the Marvel Universe podcast. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And first off, before we get into today's topic matter at hand of Thor Ragnarok from 2017... Oh, I just hit the hammer for nothing. Hammer wasn't even on. There we go. Before we get into that topic matter at hand, we want to tell you people how you can get a hold of us on them, our social media. Now we can't shut it off. Kidding. Ha, 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 ha. Let the storm pass. It'll be fine. We have to have all electricity off. Take that metal away from you. That's how I you was raised. Get hit? You silly human. All right, so go on Facebook.com slash... The Marvelous. Give us a like-ski on there. Go on Twitter, at The, the Marvelous. Very good enough. And follow us on there, or follow us individually, at Peter Melnick, yourself. At E. Wilson 959. You can also find us on Instagram, at The Marvelists. And finally, drop us an email, themarvelists at gmail.com. Give us a question, comment, strongly worded letter, all of the above. We don't know. We don't care. Just message us. Let us know you're listening to the show and what you think about it. But we care, even we, if we don't know. We do care. We do know. A lot. Mm. Uh, mm, and growing. <laughs> Flintstones vitamins? Yes. Fantastic. Does the body good. But anyway. That's milk. And finally, rate, review, subscribe, and share. Go on iTunes and listen. You can also find us on your favorite podcasting app. And also, we're available on the SoundCloud app. So, there's that. Now, Eddie, Hmm. a war happened over the weekend. Oh, my, did it. Well, we'll be saving our discussion for that when we get to our Infinity War episode in two weeks. That's right, two weeks. Overall, though, we will say, I liked it. Yourself? 
Well, I think it's more than like it was. Uh, you like liked it? Oh my god! Double like, like squared. Now, Eddie, when you liked the movie, did you you know get like handed a little piece of paper? Do you like me? Check yes, check no. No. Oh, you didn't. This is not the age of paper anymore. It's lazy. It's the age of electronic. So they Snapchatted it's you. The golden age of wireless. But anyway, Eddie, I liked it. You liked it. And likewise. Yeah. Uh-huh. Ah, oh shucks, Eddie, you shouldn't have. <laughs> but I did. Why? Why did I? I don't know. We actually got to go see it. We went for a midnight showing in Secaucus, New Jersey, and opening night. Kind of opening night. I'm sorry. A... The release date night, not the not the April 26th night. The yeah advertised after it was changed a week, April 27th that night at midnight. But man, it it was man. definitely worth it. Yes. I saw it on that Thursday in 3D on the 26th, and we saw it in the early, technically early hours of Saturday, April 28th. 28th. Yeah, yep, 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 yep. And yeah, it was a really good time. We we enjoyed it. Like we, you know, we ended up going with Mike Noren of Audibly Exquisite, my co-host on that show. And yeah, it was intense. Intense is the, the word, word. I mean, you could say I don't know if you could say even even draining mentally. In just one aspect. You know what else was draining? The to- um, the, the, the toilet? I don't know. East Coast Comic Con weekend. Yeah, three days. Got a lot of interviews for that bad boy, including special interviews and rare interviews with people like Joe Sinnott. We ended up getting... Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas, who you'll actually be hearing at the end of our Infinity War episode. And before we do our Infinity War episode, we are going to do the quote-unquote pregame special, but... When you hear it, people, it's going to be the equivalent of speculation for a movie that already came out. But there is some really rad stuff in there that you're all going to dig. And I think you're withholding one more interview. Not done at East Coast, but prior to that. At Hudson Valley? No, prior to that. At Albany. Albany! That's the one with Jim Starlin, the creator of Thanos. And Gamora and Drax. What has he not done? And Dreadstar. Exactly. We're, We're drifting. Okay, that's fine. Drifting, drifting, drifting. But we have a lot of stuff coming your way, and we hope you'll be on board for this. You know, Eddie, while we're on the topic of East Coast Comic Con that I just mentioned, what was your favorite part about that weekend? (sighs) Besides getting all the autographs that I I never unprecedented, so many from very many artists and writers that I never thought I would possibly be able to to do even mark texera it took over the course of the three days to do as much as i possibly could you know what you just get caught up in it i think really and i haven't been to too too many cons and shows to be a a super aficionado but i dare say this is one of the top three events that if you're going to meet and want to you know get a picture of or an autograph from a writer, artist that you grew up reading, seeing, and, and so on, or always saw the name in the opening credits of the comic books, although, you know, they'll move those credits to the beginning, the middle, the end of the book kind of thing. This is it. East Coast Cliff does an excellent job of getting these folks in there. Yes, of course, things change from, you know, the, the advertisement that goes out. Here's a list of people that will be appearing. Now, you mentioned Tex, Mark Texiera, who wasn't on the list, and in a lot of cases isn't just randomly shows up randomly shows up but that's expected scheduling all that stuff happens so i just happened to bring a few things and and most likely though comic book vendors will be more than smart enough to oblige and if you wanted to pick something up that they've done they'll more than likely have it for you to have signed so I, i really like the amount of folks that were there 
in terms of in terms of that and thank them for their work. A lot of them doing good work for the Hero Initiative. If you hadn't heard about that, that's to help prior writers. That's a combination of a writer and an artist, by the way. Writer Ritus. and artist who have not uh, prospered after having their their mainstay, their their jobs, and not been able to fall into a, a pension or things like that, which is actually kind of a shame. So if you really liked who they were and what they did, they asked that you help out, you know, in that way for in exchange for getting an autograph uh, kind of thing. But other than that, you know, you always you always get a mixture of stuff, and that's part of part of the biz, I, I would think, by bringing in other aspects like like a Mickey Dolan's of the Monkeys and the Monkey Mobile and, and Butch Patrick and Butch Patrick from the Munsters and the Munster Mobile and, and Dra- was the Dragula of- there? No, but oh. I think the the coffin car was. There were there were two Munster vehicles. One was that traditional big old jalopy thing that uh, that had many compartments and was you know coffin partially constructed, but there was also a gold rectangular-looking vehicle there as well. Just like there was a 1966 bit uh, Batmobile, and as well as a, a Bat cycle with a sidecar. You also had multiple Starsky and Hutch vehicles that were identified as being used in X episodes or other other purposes so a pretty decent amount of uh, variety there you know there was also a wide variety of costumes that we saw oh like, yes and if you haven't please go to the marvelous and you'll see the pretty full gamut of cosplayers that could, and even kids and just things maybe you wouldn't have expected to see some original stuff well my favorite costumes what was your favorite cosplay you saw throughout the whole weekend Ooh, I have to get back on that one. Um, and these things crossed, you know, crossed universes, crossed boundaries, and so on. Because I feel that even though the, you know the comments come, oh, that's that's you know not of that universe. It's it's distinguished, distinguished competition, competition, right? Yeah. Well, when it comes to cosplay, I truly appreciate somebody who goes to the effort and time to do that. So I think it only does them respect and, and justice. Oops, to put a picture of them up or several. And and some are more and most are willing to oblige to do that. So it just took me a few days to get everything assembled and edited down, and so you get some nice, uh, good-looking pictures. I think really, for for what it's worth, very very little uh, blinks where you know you had to edit that out or not use the picture or take another one. That worked out really well. But I, just as a point of interest, I think if you're somebody who posts a lot of pictures, I think 40 is the max you can do on any given. Uh, at one time, posted. yeah, I think it was like forty that's or how fifty. I, that's how I did them, I grouped them, whatever. So I am group. You got several batches of them, and uh, shout out and thank you to Madam, as she calls herself, Jackie Sky, for making an appearance as a female Joker and agreeing to do a shoot with me with some background other than other folks that were at the event. Who were some different? Who were also some of your favorite characters that you know? Like, wh- who was a character that you didn't expect to see? Well, it's always fun to see a ghostwriter character, and the one guy that was there... Had his head on fire. Had his head on fire with a, a chaser light set, and even in his hands, he had black gloves on his hands, but they were kind of mesh material that you could kind of see through some LEDs at the knuckles and the spike jacket, so really, really good stuff there. There was a very good-looking Poison Ivy character, who I later found out works at a haunted attraction there was a very good looking thanos female thanos from then it wasn't th- female thanos that was taraxi that was my deep cut and my favorite oh, cosplay of the whole she weekend. said that to me too and i'm like uh oh. I, I just remembered that look 
that yellow and blue coloring from the comics, and I thought it was Taraxia, you're saying? Mm-hmm. That okay. was based on Infinity, Infinity Gauntlet. Com- Infinity Gauntlet, okay. That was home. A lot of them were, were homemade. Several versions of Spider-Man. The Spidey cap kind of throws me off, but uh, I was impressed That by is that. one of my like favorite Spider-Man cosplays I've seen over the years, mm-hmm. and I don't know why. It's just It's such a unique costume that... It never happened in the comics, but man, is it cool to see. Okay, Every- good. It, was, it wasn't just me. It never happened in the comics, and somebody mashed it up, and it's become a, a regular thing. There was a, a daredevil, and his name is Matt in real life, who I think this version was from Netflix, but he was a previous daredevil. He was the original red and yellow, either last year or year before. Same guy. He, he, really, loves, he really loves daredevil. There was a Harley Quinn who was a flapper type looking in a gold and black diamond shaped uh, kind of dress with that with that pattern nailed it I thought so you know these folks there was an Esmeralda character just in her flowing dress and the chain bead type of thing around her her waist and the tambourine from Hunchback of Notre Dame there you go just killed it Absolutely killed it. And, of course, some stuff that I don't know nothing about, whether it's anime or video games, stuff that I just have no clue. But in full regalia for that for that character. There was one Ant-Man who came with a Star-Lord and a Captain America, several Captain Americas, but one Ant-Man. So that was a good representation. There was another Cyclops on the uh, Saturday. I'm sorry, on the Sunday, which is what I was, too. So we had to have a picture there. And Jean Grey was there, my love. So we had to have a picture together as well. Well, yeah, that's she a given. Of, she looked a heck of a lot better than I did, though, on that on the Sunday. As for the Saturday, I had my uh, watered-down, I guess, Punisher, which did not have the white boot covers or the white gauntlets and no white belt with, like, cartridges sort of attached to it. It's just fabricated. But it was simple and no weapons, no weapons allowed. If you were coming through, there was a security tent at the front entrance of the Meadowlands Expo uh, you get a tag, actually, to put them in a box to have it stay there until until you left. Because if you had walked in from however you came in, not knowing, then you know they had to, had to leave them there. Which, you know, it's all in the interest of safety. They have not had any incidents. I actually asked on the first day, on the Friday, I said, well, well, guys, thank you for keeping us safe. And, you know, that's it. And it's all about, it's all about the fun. So... The Teen Titan characters were great. The couple of Ravens. There was a Starfire. Very good. A couple of Black Canaries. Supergirl. Yeah, I'm going all all there. But you always go with Teen Titans whenever I see you with these costumes. Oh, you know, these things. It's, you know, I see them and I go, ooh, ooh. You know, Wonder Woman is always popular. Some folks who had Marvel apparel, whether it was a you know shirt or a dress of some kind. Scarlet Witch did a great job. That was there as well as Dr. Strange was there. Dr. Strangelove was there? Was there. Dr. Strange was there. Oh, I just love Dr. Strangelove. Great movie. Black Cat with the um, Spider-Man of Infinity War, that costume. And there was also a Spider-Girl. Almost looked like a painted-on version, but still very good. A couple of Spider-Venom-type... They look like they could have been twins to uh, two girls. So, yeah, a lot of different variety a couple of different tony starks very very cool and one thing about that with the weekend when you just mentioned venom a lot of people this past weekend were showing love for venom and carnage and we ended up you know also getting an interview with venom's co-creator mark bagley 
Bagley, by the way, is the absolute best. And I got to see, you know, I'm sitting with him at his table doing the interview and, you know, fans would come up and I got to see how he interacted with these people. Mm -hmm. And let me tell you, it's very rare when I say something like this, but to watch the way he treated these younger fans made me ensure that Mark Bagley has a fan in life for me. Oh, that's cool. Just really cool stuff. And that's, again, that's the really important thing you see about these people, these creators. It's the level of gratitude they show, you know? Yeah, and you know what? You say very rare that you say that. But I said, well, you know what? Rare is how you like your your hamburger anyway. Oh, and it's delicious that way. (sighs) I I just, sorry, I just couldn't go there. Uh, One of my moments, actually, was meeting artist Greg Horn, who, from the first time I saw his work, really making, well, I have to say it, the female form jump off the page and say, whoa, hold on a second now. This is now adult comic looking and the way, you know, and he even said it, it's more, it's it's getting into more digital coloring and so on, but a lot of covers to his credit. And I could go on about that, but I think I, I may have had him do two dozen autographs, whether it was, I think I saw his work first from Emma Frost. He's done She-Hulk, part of that run, Ms. Marvel, Marvel, that comic, crossing into, I think it's Virgin Comics, Jenna Jameson's Shadow Hunters, a lot of other stuff. Electra had a run with, uh, he had a run with her. In fact, I even have a two by three foot poster from that run. I think it's a Marvel Knights Electra run from the early 2000s. His name isn't on it, but it is the same exact photograph, but on a big poster that I had gotten as a gift. And I had him just do, and he really just did his initials with kind of a circle, had him put the date on it, but had to have that issue signed as well. So, and wound up buying a couple of prints from him because I really like his stuff, you know, and uh, decided to try and maximize. Maximoff. Not Maximoff. Wow, we were both going there. I knew you you just go there. Okay. But got a couple of 11 by 17s where multiple characters are in there so I could get as many as I could on one one page. I didn't need to have Black Widow sitting on a motorcycle looking behind her. We could see her butt and, you know, be curvy and all that. And yeah, a bag of chips. nice, but, you know, let's just get a, ooh, I should have asked him. I thought about it. A Greg, get a bag of chips? Get, get back to where you once belonged. Get back Loretta <laughs> or Natasha. Yeah. That too. Get a and create a five by seven, let's say, um, Greg Horn album. In fact, I'm going to be looking for a comic book by Image. It's called Judge, and it's actually there are dots J period U period D period G period E period. Judge Judy and Execution. Judge Secret Rage from like 2000, three issue run. Somebody had autographed. Want to see what that's about? That looks kind of interesting to me. But now Eddie. Also, like I said, going back to the discussion of Venom, we ended up getting to see a new Venom trailer. And since our last time we recorded, which was, I believe, the week before Infinity War, trailer for Venom dropped. And I'm a little bit more excited, although I want to ask you, how do you feel about the CGI version of Venom that they showed in the trailer? You know what? I probably wouldn't know the difference. I didn't realize it came out. I somehow missed that. Still? I, yeah, I, I definitely miss it. What I did see... Just what a day a day ago was the new trailer for Ant Man and the Wasp. Okay, that was great. That it, I thought was really good. I was I thought it was okay. It wasn't the best, but I thought I did as, like just it. as good. I think as the first one. Why do you first, say that? First trailer. 
just some good material in there, some good interchange of lines, especially in the first one, because I've seen it a little bit more than the this newer trailer. But just where Scott Lang says to Hank Pym, oh, so she's got wings, you know, she's got newer tech. But never, no, no, I had the tech available at the time, too. He just you know, didn't want to give it to him. Just just more stuff for for her. But we knew that she would have wings if you stayed and saw the end of Ant-Man. That was in the prototype, hanging up. And I, I mean, some there was one comment I saw on the internet, and it made me laugh. They go, the scene involving the ant playing drums was a bit much. And I said, <laughs> you're talking about a superhero movie. Really, the stuff where they're flying in midair and there's a talking raccoon, that's not a bit much. <laughs> but the ant playing drums pulled you out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me? This is a clue, if they didn't do it already, to get a song by Adam and the Ants called Ant Music. I can that will happen. I guarantee it. That should be yeah, without a doubt. That's cool. That's the domesticated ant. It's got to be the one that Charlie or Charles, the one that Charles thought would die within an hour. <laughs> Is that well, right? <laughs> I'm so happy. Anthony too proved him wrong. Anthony, going over. I I do want to again. I keep wanting to just discuss this, but with the Venom trailer. There was something that happened in it that we haven't seen in the Deadpool trailer. We haven't seen in any of the X-Men related trailers. This is the first time I've seen this happen. Why are you referring back to those? The Venom? Well, the Why reason... Why are you referring Venom to those X-Men and... Uh, yeah. Because this is a quote-unquote movie which may or may not be a part of the MCU. When we saw the trailer open, it opened with in association with Marvel. Ah. They've never, ever, ever done yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. Why is that there when other times, you know, they never had it? Especially even Deadpool 2, that came out that week. So what, somebody else's hands in the pot? I have a feeling, because like I said, you know, you've heard that rumor that Tom Holland was involved, or he was there, and this and that. But... Not the other thing? No. Okay, good. This, that, the other thing? Now you're talking. But yeah, well, I, I am, it's a podcast. Great balls of fire, but... I thought I was waiting for takeout. <laughs> I, I just feel that doing that with this movie could be beneficial because we're going to end up getting Spider-Man maybe in this movie if it happens. You are so hoping for that. That's it. How I can am. you do a Spider-Man movie without Spider-Man? Yes, because I think know. about it. The, I did. The you thing just on threw me chest. back to that from several episodes ago. That was your big gripe already about it. Well, just having seen you know one trailer. Ugh. In the interest of fairness, people had the same thing about movies like Fantastic Four. This is not the fairness doctrine of 1923 we're talking about. This is not a history class. Dag nabbit. Anyway, anyway, anyway. Anyway. This is Ragnarok. Now, Eddie, also one last topic before we get into our Thor Ragnarok. Lord knows I'm trying. We have a bit of a discussion of the Deadpool 2 trailer. Did you see it? Yes. There was more than one, I think, correct? The most recent, quote-unquote, final trailer. Uh, featuring myself yes. skydiving. Oh, is that? <laughs> yeah, that was uh, interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, somewhere out of nowhere, skydiving, yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, same name, I guess. <laughs> friend of the show, Fabian Nicieza, ended up posting about whether or not, uh, in my fictional Peter script, I would do this and this. Well, yeah. Fabian, if you're listening... Like I told you, I tweeted to you, I gladly offer my services for reference as a Peter. Let me know. At Peter Melnick. Hit me up. Oh, boy. So now, 
also we end up seeing a bit of a better shot of the cast. We know that Terry Crews is going to be a part of this, and I'll be honest, that's a really big deal. Mm-hmm. And the fact Terry Crews is making his Marvel debut in a Deadpool movie, that's perfect. That man's personality fits this, and he's going to be. it's going to be great to watch him interact with Deadpool. Characters that you mentioned that I just went to uh, Brolin in the role of Cable and just going to have to roll with it that he's just coming off of being Thanos and now Cable. So, you know, kudos to him, but... I'm surprised that we are going to be living in a world where people know who Shatterstar is. Yeah, well, okay, you know, we will. Shatterstar, we will. Domino, right who else? Well, I think maybe I'm just speaking for myself. Maybe they're on the same level of getting to know who Domino and Shatterstar. I was thinking Domino a little bit ahead of sort of Shatterstar, but but yeah, we'll we'll get to know them. And a little more of uh, to know Teenage them. Mutant Negasonic, right? Teenage Negasonic Warhead, Eddie. Negasonic get that right. Whew, I thought I had it, and then, bam, gonzo. I mean, we got a picture with the lady. We did. She's a, she's a youngin', though. So. She's a sweetheart. Yeah, she was. Now, Eddie, let's get into the topic matter at hand, because we've had a bit of enough rigmarole wow. in this episode. More on the marole. Mm-hmm. And the rigor. Too much of that is fattening. But what we're going to talk about is Thor Ragnarok from 2017. Yes. And first off, Eddie... Man, oh man, this was a movie that when I saw it, I I always do this. It's my BS review. Whenever I go on Twitter and I review a movie, I always give a somewhat honest assessment because it's the initial viewing. I'm still a little bit stars in the eyes, like, wow, this was great. But then I let it settle in. When it came to this movie, I posted that I gave it an 8.5 out of 10. Okay. In actuality, it actually got a seven and a half out of ten. In movies, you get a plus one additional rating when you include things like randomly including pro wrestling in scenes. And this was one of those movies. Uh, in the world of Melnick, this is what happens. If you watch this movie, there's a scene where, set to the Led Zeppelin's immigrant song uh, montage at the end, the Incredible Hulk does a fisherman suplex to a wolf while Led Zeppelin plays. That gets a f- complete full score for me on top of that. Uh, plus one there. Much like how when I saw the Power Rangers movie, they did a belly-to-belly suplex to Goldar. I mean, honestly, suplexes in general just get, you know, great ratings from me. But, okay. Eddie... You're suplex biased. Th- I am. Uh, it, this is suplex city, Eddie. And I'm suplex ignorant. So but... There, I said it. <laughs> what I loved was the fact that we ended up getting a fun Thor movie that was on par, if not better, than the first one. We have the Thor... first one? Yeah, we have Thor The Dark World, which... You're passing over. I'm surprised you're even mentioning it to begin with. You have to mention things like this because this that movie was what not to do in a Thor movie. Okay, yeah, except you've you got to get the second stone from somewhere, and there it is. There's the ether. Mm-hmm. I suppose, but it could have been a better script. Okay. But anyway, I digress. And the, well, the funniest thing is, once again... We're, I'm crapping on that movie, and yet... Why are those dark elves so, gosh darn albino looking? And yet, the thing about that movie is this. It's not that bad compared to other movies out there. Okay. All but right. for a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie... Yeah, we said it from the beginning. Yeah. They had to take a hit. They had to know where... Exactly. ...where it wasn't going to work, I, you know, and, or and it was inevitable. This, it all can't be home runs. This is a movie where, once again, my this opinion... This is a bunt. 
This movie, Ragnarok, on the other hand, is one of those ones where my opinion changed after watching it. Yeah. For a I don't know about time. better than the first one, but, yeah. I I think it is because, yeah, the humor lands a lot more, and there's just Frequently. a lot more funnier scenes. But what I want to talk to you about is this. When we see these movies, we see changes from the source material. And this is an example of one of them. We got a change from the story of Planet Hulk and changes to the characters. Some people say for the better. Some people say for the absolute worst. Mm -hmm. I'm in the for the better camp, but I can understand why there are people saying this is for the worst. For example, look at the characters Korg and Meek. They took these powerful, strong characters and essentially turned them into one-note jokes. And then you have Korg where he's changing from, hello, this is Korg. You know, he's doing his, he's very... uh, English. British. He was Australian. Oh. Or no, New Zealand. Okay. He's not from Liverpool. But he's got that voice, he's got this, he's got that. And they took a character that people probably were mad for the change. And this is not the first time we've seen, you know, a tone change for these characters. Look no. at Star- look at Star-Lord. Mm-hmm. Star-Lord was a super serious space cop. What do they do to him? Turning him into a wise-cracking Han Solo type character. Yep. More relatable to a mass audience. And it was That's the, the yeah. only th- prevailing thought that goes through my mind. A much more fun character. Yeah. And, and even the Korg character, before I forget about it, we talked about this I mentioned before we started recording. Reminded me of the Fanforstic movie and that Ben Grimm thing character who had a very much lighter than you would expect a big rocky creature character to have. Like a wimpy voice. Yeah, it almost sounded like he got the same job with the different rocky character. But would you say not doing, but would you say doing this, you know, vocal change for Korg? It helped. It kept pace with the lightness to a significant degree of the movie overall, which was my initial problem with it, to say this was just too not serious. I'm not expecting it to be, you know, riveting, serious, oh, you know, so, so heavy kind of thing. But it seemed too too lighthearted than it was supposed to be, than I thought it was going to be. After a second, third viewing, okay, I'm with it. I get the, I'm rolling with it here. You know, it just immediately had reminded me of doing a Guardians of the Galaxy formula with the humor aspect. Too many quips and and funny little jokes that it was, all right, everything's got to be, you know, every other sentence has got to be funny. Now, just let's let's keep moving here. Not that they were demeaning the... The The source material. The source material or the, the validity, the strength of the characters. But I just thought, all right, let's let's go. Too many scenes where Thor was just... Not wimping out, but not as being being as strong. Maybe just tape, you know, tapering back on the somewhat arrogance. I feel like he, he was that he had, or, or a just pretty cockiness. boy. Yeah, yeah, that too. I got better on it. I feel using the humor helped the movie. It did help to some to some degree, and and you know, it lightened it up. And just to remind you, like like one of the artists or writers from East Coast Comic Con, Keith Giffen, it's just a movie. Yeah, they're not real so you know to get into your own kind of war whether it's texting or podcasting or whatever war about oh no it wasn't this way it wasn't after all these 10 years now marvel movies you know you can get away with that there shouldn't you can yeah and you shouldn't be too but there's still room for surprises and really i think for the most part positive ones at that surprises and i like i like like i said i like tonal changes i feel 
if you have something, you can change it up. And by doing that tonal change, it'll help. Like when you look at, for example, like I said, I'll keep going back to it, Guardians of the Galaxy. During the panel that we did with, I, the panel that I did with Aaron Cooter and Keith Giffen this past weekend at East Coast Comic Con, we talked about the original Guardians of the Galaxy. And to be quite honest, dud characters, like really just boring characters. Keith came out and said that right away from the, the 90s. No, well, um, no the, I'm sorry, the original, the, 70s, o- the, 70s. the OG ones from the 60s, which delved into the 70s and which delved into the, you know. Right, I pick it up from the mid-70s, that's right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And just... And see, I just thought it was, it may be part of it is they wouldn't have translated, transferred over into movies if they had a Martin X character, for example. And, you know, Yondu as a guardian, not being on the opposite side of things kind of thing. And the interesting thing about this movie was this was also an example of the Marvel versus DC war, quote unquote, where you saw the DC fans who were feel slighted against by Rotten Tomatoes, they attacked this movie. Like they would, you know, give it negative reviews because critics were giving their DC movies bad reviews because this came out around the time of Justice League. Mm, yes. Which, to be honest, Justice League was an okay movie. It wasn't the greatest thing I've it ever seen. The same, it was the same month, yeah. Yeah, but you saw Justice League, right? I did. And it was average. It wasn't the greatest thing. You weren't blown away by it, but you appreciated what they did, what they accomplished. Yes, it. I think it held up pretty well for what it was. But out of the movies that month, this was the strongest. And nope, this is literally the strongest Avenger Uh but I like that they're doing stuff like that. I like that, you know, Marvel can put out something put out something with a character that you wouldn't expect this kind of movie from either. When you saw the trailers initially, you didn't expect this to be the kind of movie it was. Probably not, no. They don't want to tell you, they don't want to tell you too much about it and, and even, that's good. Even like you said, the the source material, Planet Hulk, I didn't know the full don't know the full story of, but I have the general idea of Planet Hulk. But I think even if you didn't read any of this stuff, you just find that, oh, he's on a different world. He'd been absent for some time, Hulk, that is, and this is where he is, and pick it up from there. So, fine. And this was a movie where we got stronger character progression. Yes. And I feel this is the movie where... Yes, he had an entire movie of his own, and yes, he's done appearances in Avengers movies and, you know, whatever. But this was where the Hulk, specifically Mark Ruffalo, really shined. A lot more time, I don't know, maybe about sort of almost equal time, Hulk time versus Bruce Banner time. Now, would you say that it was smart of them doing this, of them making his character a yeah. much larger point. I think so. You're getting more character development, and this is an environment where where Hulk can thrive, not be in danger of hurting people, as you would in a metropolitan city, a major city with countless number of people, but a planet that is devoted or whatever to to war, warring a lot. Not that they're, or maybe they are a more primitive society. But that's part of their everyday living. Their, their MO. Their, their sporting uh, activity is confined to this or refined to this. And maybe differences get settled through this. And maybe that's a better way of think, doing things, actually. So though a character like Hulk can be in here and, and thrive and do well and be here, uh, hailed as a, as a champion from what the crowd in the stands were chanting his name. And had, they had pinatas with his face on it, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
it just shows the overall universe is just so strange and wacky, and I like it for that. Careful, you're going into Howard the Duck territory now. Not, well, we might be going in that territory very soon. I know. That's just a subtle hint for all you people out there. Not so subtle. But... Gross. But what I'm thinking with this movie also is how we got characters like Thor and how they interact with the overall Marvel universe. Interact in the beginning with Doctor Strange. And I feel that was a very great cameo appearance by Benedict Cumberbatch. Mm -hmm. I loved that. Yeah. And again, you know, it was essentially the footage we saw from the other movie, but still... It was fun. It, but it was expanded upon, and that was really good. In fact, you have a Doctor Strange now who has more come into his character, is very self-assured, it seems, of what he's doing. He's going from one thing to another. Thor and Loki arrive on Earth. Loki is taken by one of those, I don't know, spherical rings that show up are, uh, uh, under Loki's feet. He gets brought down through the, through the ground, and there's a business card left with the address of Doctor Strange Sanctum. Goes to knock on the door. All of a sudden, he's in the place. So a lot of illusion and changing of scenes, as well as him not drinking tea, but drinking that huge beer and then have it automatically refill. Strange is in control of what's happening of his environment with, I'm sure, some help from you know his teaching and from the amulet around his neck. With this movie, we're also introduced to a new villain in the form of Hela. Mm-hmm. And man, I did not expect to like a character as much as I did oh. hers. In, in fact, I liked her a hella of a bunch. Hella good. Hella lot. That's no doubt. Sorry. I think doing that character the way they did, again, it was slightly drifting away from the source material. And not by much, but yeah, again, no. mm-hmm. it, was a, it was a good version of the character. It's like You can drift away from the, the source material of some of these characters and yep. get away with it. Yep. It just has to be good. And Kate Blanchett, knocked it out of the park and you know she's acting alongside Carl Urban who by the way I'm shocked I've never seen in a Marvel movie before this the fact he was not in a Marvel movie before is a big disservice you know the dude played Judge Dredd and he did a damn good job at it too you know and not just that but also he was in you know he plays Bones in Star Trek he's a good actor and I think if he didn't play the role he played in this he would make a phenomenal, for example, Ant-Man. Really? I think he would be a great Ant-Man. He has, oh. he has that, you know, Hank Pym kind of attitude towards himself. Yeah. Okay. But, I don't know. I think they did a lot of good with this movie also with casting of, you know, other people. Tessa? And, Tessa Thompson? The Valkyrie role? That was a character that... Exuding male traits of drinking and carousing well the character is drunkenly piloting her ship the character is a very interesting take and like again once again keep going back to the whole source material thing they changed her source material yes. but they're actually bringing her character into the marvel comics continuity now but under a different name but the same appearance and it's the same persona she's this she's that she's maintaining everything that this version of the movie one okay. is into the you know the the print version and yeah man it's it's cool to see that character that and just how she interacted you know had that bond with the hulk you know what yeah there was there was one there because you figured they've been 
on this planet for some time now, so something eventually would come together with respect to that. Now, I was just looking, as we, as you had mentioned, the Carl Urban and his character, and, you know, surprising, he was in this or that and not. The DVD has names of all these people we've mentioned across the top picture. On the back, you've got a group shot of all the characters, except for Carl Urban. <laughs> he's the only one not listed here. He's he's not really odd. that big of a deal, though, in the movie. But a significant one. It it did I lead thought. to my favorite scene in like when I was in the theater, I burst out laughing when I saw this when he has the the big you know AR-15s or whatever. Yes. And he just jumps out and starts shooting at people. I was dying laughing because I'm just like on the Rainbow Bridge. Yeah, it was. Yeah. It was such a. How do I say it? He was being badass. It was, but it was a contrast between he's in this world of swords and monsters and this, and he's literally falling out of a 1980s cannon movie just shooting at things. And I'm like, <laughs> where'd he get the guns? Yeah. I thought it was great and just so over the top. It wasn't being serious. It wasn't trying, you know, because that's the problem with a lot of other movie companies out there who treat their things like they're deathly serious when all it is is just funny books that's all Mm -hmm. that's all it is it's goofy fun and to see that to see these characters treated so not seriously it helps but then you end up having characters in this world that are treated seriously and then the ones that are just you know they're goofy Idris Elba's character of Hemdall is an example of a super serious character. You don't need to make jokes about him because you you can't. You shouldn't. And nope. they no or face the penalty. <laughs> he's such a strong badass character, and Idris Elba is one of the most underutilized performers in the Marvel universe. And I feel that if he was introduced later as a character, I feel he would have done better. You know, give the spotlight to him as opposed to him being an ensemble player, you know? Yeah, well, in his role, I think he he definitely did it to the best of his ability. So oh, yeah. He, he excelled there. We wouldn't really have much to talk about if he didn't. But he's in there in, in places where he should be, I think, where it breaks up and, and or continues the thread of the plot and so on. He comes into the fray with a dream sequence in, what is it, the Ultron movie, when Scarlet Witch hexes Thor and said, you know, everybody's dead. He's got, then Idris has completely white eyes and you should have been here, you know, and he, he comes into play in these different in these different aspects. He's not just, you know, a gatekeeper or the Rainbow Bridge to let grant you passage and so on. And like one of the Warriors 3 said, complicated fellow, because he said, so you know, disobey, you know, whatever. Okay, good. So he's going to help them in the first Thor movie, but I'm going back. I think his character did did well. And that can lead to more. Yeah. For him. Sure. But I feel with this, you know, movie, this was the strongest performance of Idris in the Marvel Universe because he had more of a spotlight on him. Yes. You're seeing the slow motion sword scenes and it's, it's cool. It's absolutely mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. And... Losing him is not cool. Like, hell is wiping out the Warriors 3 and... When she gets on the scene, I mean, she she first appears, and then, before you know it, exit Mjolnir. Yeah, the destruction. No more, no more hammer. And I, I think doing that, 
again, it gives the character of Thor a stronger story arc because now he doesn't have the thing he's relying on. Right, which his father Odin has to reveal to him that that was merely a tool for him to harness his power, to focus it, which we really, I don't think, knew about until... Uh, what, what, when was it that we first saw Thor generating electricity? Not from... Not from Ultron when he channeled the lightning into the the cradle of what would be the vision. That was a very significant lightning strike, I thought, for, for that correlation. Right. But all of a sudden now, Thor's eyes are glowing with lightning and he's sparkling, sparking with electricity from his fingertips. He is the lightning. He rode the lightning. Uh, so did Metallica. Kind of, yes. Well, in an album title, it did. They did. Just a little. I don't know. Just the overall progression of Thor with this also. He matures, kind of. No doubt. And doing that, again, the whole you don't need the weapon to prove that, you know, it, it's goofy, but you had the you had the power in you all along, Thor. You right. didn't need a hammer. And it's did, that. You didn't realize it was there all along, yeah. And... Again, it's just it's cool progression for the character because the entire time, all Thor is in the other Marvel movies is a man with a hammer. That's all he is. He's nothing more than his prop, his weapon. Yeah. And doing this, you strengthen him. You make him more than that. And also, what you do with these movies is you expand on the overall story of the MCU and you do storyline things in the form of non-visual not there through their words and one of the biggest things for me was the reveal that Jane Foster Natalie Portman and Thor are no longer together and I liked that I liked that they were able to explain why she's not there through a one and done thing mm -hmm. yeah. and it's kind of similar to how they got rid of Gwyneth Paltrow's character who then came back a movie later it happens but I liked the decision of doing that, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I think it worked out. It worked out well. This might be the first time that we're utilizing a character in the form of a cameo, and it explains every, like a big deal why Thor looks the way he does with the haircut and everything. And it turns out it's because of Stan Lee's cameo. A crazy interstellar galactic barber. I liked that. I liked seeing that Stan... He, this character has a purpose in some spots. And what I'm wondering, when Avengers 4 comes out next year, could Stan have something to do with another character or an overall event? We don't know. No, we don't get to know that right uh, this far in advance. Not at all. But I, I guess they had to figure or think of, all right, we want to make Thor a little different. We want to make it look like time has passed. All right, we want to shut, we want to cut his hair. Make him sh short-haired. Well, how are we going to figure that out? Well, somebody's going to have to cut it, I guess. Who's going to do that? <laughs> it was smart. It was really smart to just do that. Stan Lee does Edward Scissorhands. He does, he does so much. <laughs> and, yeah. And then you also have the big fight between Hela and Thor, which leads to, you know, him losing his eye. Yeah. A shocker when that happens. And that, that was an I example. Just a ah uh, moment. 
I will say this. That was an example of how great Marvel is at keeping secrets. Because when this movie was coming out, the trailers were getting released, and we didn't see shots where Thor's missing his eye. No. Mm-mm. They they did a great job keeping that secret. And let me tell you, this is why I like what they do. And I'm not... It's, for those of you who have not seen it yet, Infinity War, they had something that could have been spoiled in the trailers, but they did a complete reverse. I'm not going to say what it is, but they literally edited the footage in the trailers to avoid a spoiler. And it was so cool. It was so smart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you have, you know, little things in the movie, like little things that the audience will notice. Eddie, you know, off mic, you were talking about the costume that Bruce Banner pulls out. It's it's Tony Stark's clothing. What did he pull out? He pulled out a, he's wearing a Duran Duran t-shirt that says Rio from that album cover on there. So it's, the name is Rio. Really? Are you kidding me? Wow. Whoa, Black Betty. That's, that's Duran Duran. <laughs> way off base but even when you know somebody like the the grandmaster who by the Jeff way Goldblum, oh it. my god he oh, was absolutely. great the uh the creator of sakar father of the contest of champions and saying thor is the lord of thunder eddie we and he and thor is from asberg but we yes. are currently in the jeff goldblum renaissance let me tell you yeah <laughs> this is a cool time to be a fan of jeff goldblum because the man is so self noting of what he is he's like very self he's self-aware and one of the things recently I saw with Jeff was he actually recited a Simpsons bit. And he's just so charming and so funny and so weird. And it's cool to see, you know, people are acknowledging finally, hey, Jeff Goldblum kind of friggin' rules. I guess if he's coming full circle or coming around, whether he was Jurassic Park or Independence Day and now this, the only thing I guess really would be on the negative side would be the, uh, the Fly 2. From what, 1986, I think he was... They made the fly, too. scientist, yeah. And it was terrible. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Poor Chef Goldblum. Go, but, chef, what, we go figure, yeah. But what I liked was the utilization of the character of the Grandmaster. And again, yeah. he wasn't a super serious character. And once again, people, if you're at home and taking a drink, take a shot right now because I'm going to mention it again. The source material, the character is different. And I like that. I like how fun the character was. And, you know, you see him, like, playing with the little keyboard doing, like, the 1980s-style synthesizer music. Yeah. Which, by the way, the the movie's music was scored by Mark Mothersbaugh from Devo. Okay. One of the original members of Devo scored this movie. And it's a fun movie, man. No, it is. I mean, but there's a, seri- a, a good amount of serious and, and very dramatic stuff going on there, like... Lose, Thor losing his eye in the battle with Hela and, and other shocking moments along those those lines, you know. And then finally, what Thor being able to summon summon the lightning because in that final battle with, with Hela saying, tell me, brother, what were you a god of again? Kind of thing. She was telling herself she was not a queen, she's not a monster, but she's a goddess of death. And using the song again, the immigrant song, what, at least twice throughout the movie, which doesn't altogether happen, you know, it's there for... An effect as part of a scene, which is why you have many songs, or in some cases only a couple of songs that are noteworthy. But this was good enough to use again. I want to th- say that, that that song has actually been used in something, not necessarily in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but that was a good song to fit into another film. And one of these days it'll come back to me. But uh, you know. 
But what about the what about the team that they forged, uh, the Revengers? Short lived, I guess. Thor, Banner, Valkyrie. I thought it was funny that it's it's poking fun at the concept of all these like team names. They're this. They're mm-hmm. that. Yeah. We're the Defenders. We're the Avengers. We're this. We're that. And just the whole absurdity of, wait, you're calling us this? Really? Yeah, this is what we're going to go with? Yeah. Okay, right. I guess. But can we think of something better? Yeah, we could, but we're not. I, I like stuff like that. I think the idea of these movies being self-aware and very meta, it's it's fun. And and, and by the time what, we get down to the ending, I think it kind of reminded me of Guardians because it was kind of a question of, okay, where to? And then in the midst of trying to figure out, you know, Earth it is. I disagree with the Guardians comparison because the Guardians movies, both one and two, they ended on a hopeful note. Mm-hmm. This movie, on the other hand, it ended on a note of... To be continued. <laughs> and for the worst. Because when we see the post credit scene, we see Loki and Thor talking to each other. We're going to get to Loki in a minute. But we see, you know, a spaceship approach and... Yeah, yeah. If you've seen Infinity War you know what happens next. See, I was going with the Shatari kind of a... That's the only thing that came to mind, really, when I first had seen it. And, yeah, it it's definitely a lot different. I, mm. I knew what was going on when I saw it, and I'm just like, yeah. oh, boy. And my suspicions were right when I saw Avengers Infinity War. Not to be misled by the line that I wrote down when Thor and Loki were, were talking, the line I wrote was, feels like everything's going to work out fine. No. It did not. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. That was the mid-credit, yeah, scene. And Tom Hiddleston once again steals the show. (laughs) For a movie series that's supposedly based around the title character, these movies are incredible when it comes to grabbing the attention of the viewer with Tom Hiddleston. I understand why so many people are fangirls of Tom Hiddleston, just how he exudes that personality, that persona, you know? Yeah. And and how else can you? I don't know. I was gonna say, how else can you possibly end this this movie Thor Ragnarok with uh, post credit of the Grandmaster and the people as there's chaos everywhere, or you know, destruction and little fires and so on. And his line about can't have can't having a revolution without somebody to overthrow. So uh, you're welcome, and it's a tie. Yeah, and it's just the whole not seriousness of it. And I think this is the first time a villain in the Marvel movies actually lives. I think it's very uh, rare, you know? Uh, okay. Very rare, like your steak and your burger, rather. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you, we lose the executioner, Scourge, who starts off by being good, but he'll apparently go to whoever's in charge. He'll be, any, he'll be anybody's underling and so on, and um, inevitably impaled by Hela. So there goes the executioner. What else would you say is a major benefit of the comedic tone for this movie. I guess it keeps the subject matter somewhat light and maybe a little easier to follow to continue through instead of it being bogged down as it might have gotten. So, you know, to the credit of the producers, they did they did good with it. This is a movie where they they tried to jam as many like not as many, but they jammed two different kinds of stories into one and it was very good the way they did it. We ended up getting the Planet Hulk storyline, but we also got Contest of Champions, like light, like really light. Okay, yeah, you got pieces of that. And that was good, too, because you had to establish what happened to the Hulk. And, yeah, the Contest of Champions, that's what the Grandmaster does. It's for sport only. 
who knows what monies are exchanged or so on. But this world of Sakaar is where the best of the best duke it out. For what prize? Well, they get to live, yeah. <laughs> first and foremost, and live to fight another day. So, and, yeah. And, I mean, I, I like the idea of utilizing a, quote-unquote, lesser-known story. Because, yeah, everyone's expecting big things like secret wars. Everyone's expecting civil war. They're expecting this. They're expecting that. Contest of Champions? I completely yeah. forgot that was a thing. Yeah, it was a short two or three uh, issue miniseries in the 80s. Yeah, and then it became, you know, a video game for Marvel. Okay. And that was fun. But the OG contest of champions, though, that's like you have to be a diehard Marvel fan to know that one. To, yes, you, you do. And, uh, and finding out that when he finally did get back to being Banner, he said, I've been the Hulk for two years. No Banner, only Hulk. You know, he's more versed. He's got more vocabulary on his side, the Hulk. And he's he's funny. He's humorous. I like that about Playful. him. Playful. It's it's he's definitely naked. It's a better it's a better personification of the Hulk character because the Hulk is a child. He's a gigantic green child. Yes, he is. And of course Thor having seen him coming out of the tub said, Oh, I cannot unsee that now. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's not easy being green, and we really mean it this time. But, yeah, wow. See? (laughs) Poor Jim Henson. But would you say the decision to go with a lighthearted tone, it did help the movie a lot, didn't it? It It made it much more memorable, too. Yeah, I think so. So, yeah, it took a while for me to get it. For it to sink in that I that it was too over the top funny that okay here's the way we're doing it. Well, now let me ask you if they did that for the Civil War storyline, how would you react to no, that? No, no, it wouldn't. It would not. Civil War, exclusively in its own terms, is not a good positive upbeat thing. So you know it's not going to be humorous. Now I'm going to over, give- over the. Uh, in the grand scheme of that, it's go, it's going to be in the grand master of things. Con, you know, a bunch of of course, it, civil war is simply conflict, so, wow, internal wow. conflict, and may and or doesn't end very well. Now, what I'd like to know from you is this as well: what is a storyline that could use a humorous touch that's serious, but the humor wouldn't hurt it? Oh, on the spot, terrific. Hey, that, that's the best kind of spot to be on. No, or the first parking spot in the lot next to the store. Ah, it was too much to think about. I, you know, just drawing a big old blank. I mean, I feel doing a super serious movie can have its benefits, and then having a serious story interjected with the right amount of humor can work as well. Yes, yes, I agree. Now, Eddie. Let's wrap this episode up and talk about where this is going to lie in our overall ranking. First off, let's also let's talk about what we think about this movie. Myself, I really dug it. I liked it more than I did the first time. And again, it was it's not the best Marvel sequel, but it's up there. It's definitely a fun movie and it just works. It just does what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to tell a story with engaging characters 
and it flows oh so well. It flows just like Thor's body as he's getting thrown around like a limp rag doll yes, in his battle yes, with the Hulk. That's what it feels like, as Loki said. Yeah. Oh, he's a big sports fan. Mm-hmm. Just a great big sports fan. Love loves the sports. But yeah, now it also it flows better. It has much more memorable moments. The one-liners are hilarious. One of my favorite lines in the whole movie, which we didn't get to, was in the very beginning. It's one of my favorite scenes. Let's see if I have it written down. Maybe, maybe. Go ahead. Thor says, are you going to be as big as a house? A mountain. Oh, Surtur. And just the... Surtur, the demon who reminded me of Mephisto. With his big eyebrow. And (laughs) just that level of... Thor sees this stuff going on, and even he has to laugh at it, you know? Yeah, and even, I mean, even you may get a little smirk or chuckle out of seeing the tragedy of Loki being portrayed with who as Loki, but Matt Damon in a cameo. That, wow, that was one of those moments where I was shocked that actually happened. Yeah, you're like, wait, is that Matt Damon? Yeah. I liked it. I thought that decision was really, really smart. Because you don't know what's going to happen in these movies. And to see that, to see a Matt Damon actor, you know, person, human being, living organism that breathes, mammal, you know, you have those. Because <laughs> I just sounded like an alien creature for a second. So I'm like, you know what, I'll just continue this. Fine. But yeah, just a great universe that this is. Because we also don't know, could that have been an Asgardian actor, or could it actually have been Matt Damon, who th- you know, who Loki brought to Asgard with him? We don't know. Correct. We don't know. Like I said, if we're going to go with what this kind of movie is to me, it's a fun movie. And again, my opinion has definitely changed from what was a movie that was okay, I understand why so many people love this movie. If I had to give it a rank a rating, I would give it a 5 out of 5. And I did not expect myself to do that when I, you know, was gearing up for the Infinity War rewatch, but mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. And if I had to rank my movies, here's where we are. Number 15, Thor the Dark World, number 14, Iron Man 3, number 13, The Incredible Hulk, number 12, Iron Man 2, number 11, Captain America, the first Avenger, number 10, Avengers, Age of Ultron, number 9, Avengers, or Avengers, or Avengers Assemble if you are in the UK, number 8, Thor, number 7, Iron Man, which by the way, man, to see that movie go so far down when for years and years and years, that was the number one, that's the power of these movies. Hmm. Number six, Captain America Civil War. Number five, Doctor Strange. And wait a minute. It's it's a tie. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Thor Ragnarok. Number four, Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Number three, Ant-Man. Number three as well, Guardians of the Galaxy, because that, my friends, is a tie. Number two, Spider-Man Homecoming, coming in with a two-thwip. And number one for me... Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 2. Now, Eddie, wow. what did you think of this movie? It's a tie. How many ties can we have with your rankings, first of all? I get it. I'm, it's I'm allowed to have two ties. I'm allowed to have two. One for the morning and one for the evening, I suppose. Or one for the week and one for the weekend. Hmm. Okay, well, 
it was better the second time around watching it. I got it. Appreciated the humor as much as it was throughout. So where I might have, if I was in a ranking frame of mind, given it, I don't know, a high three, meaning like a 3.75 initially seeing it, I overall ranked it as a four and a quarter. That's not bad at all. So, um, and a, but a strong 4.25, I thought. Not in the it needs deodorant kind of way, but a strong and holding its its own. Stop that. So, at the top of the list, with a five, in no particular order, Guardians of the Galaxy, Captain America the Winter Soldier, the Avengers, and Iron Man. Still staying there. They are holding their positions because it was the first one. It was the pioneer. And so the pie in the ear? Got to give the respect What to kind that. of pie? Iron no hyphen man with a tie at number five there. I mean, Eddie, Dan Slott is writing Iron Man now, so he's bringing the hyphen over from Spider-Man. Oh, great. Now Res- we have to do the hyphen. Respect the hyphen, Eddie. Yes, I know. You do. Always do. With a fortune cookie. Well, if it wasn't for... Yes, that, I stole your whole, line. That's a whole nother discussion. Why the why is the hyphen in Spider Man? There's actually a reason Stanley gave his reason why there is. I gotta find it for you, is, but is there's it the real re- reason? No, the reason Oh I the thought, reason is because he doesn't want Spider Man to be confused with Superman. Correct. So he put the hyphen in to make it more important. Correctamundo. Yes. To make it more distinguishable. That's right. So coming down from the number five ranking to a four point seven five, we have Thor. Captain America, the first Avenger, and that's it. No, Spider-Man Homecoming with a 4.75 as well. So three of them sitting at the spot there. At a four and a half ranking, Iron Man 2, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Down to a 4.25, Iron Man 3, Avengers Age of Ultron, Captain America Civil War wow. and Thor Ragnarok. I wish we could edit that out. My wow, wow. At a four, the Incredible Hulk. And finally, at the bottom with a 3.5, Thor the Dark World. There you go. So now, Eddie, next week's movie is going to be a special one because we're actually going to be seeing it in a movie theater once again. While it's still playing. While Avengers Infinity War is playing as well. We're literally in the timeline where there's two Marvel movies in theaters at the same exact time as the other. Wow. That's uh, an overlap sort of kind of. First time this has happened since Spider-Man Homecoming while Guardians Volume 2 was playing. And we're probably going to see that again next year when Captain Marvel is out the same time as Infinity whatever. But, ladies and gentlemen, Peter gets ahead of himself. So... Next week's movie, Black Panther. And if you are still with us for this Road to Infinity War, like I said, listen to the show. Give it a... Like-ski, to say the least. But before we go, Eddie, let's do one last thing. Let's answer a fan question from our Facebook page. Yes, yes. Well, Eddie, what we were asked was something that we kind of glossed over, but you know what? This is something that we need to discuss. And this was one of the major things. And I'm kind of surprised we glossed over this, but hey, we we're still that. recording and we can still talk about it. 
Eddie, what are your thoughts when the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie? That's amore. No, so Eddie. Dino. Frank Rappa on our Facebook page asked us, what did you think of the fight between the Hulk and Thor? Now, I liked it a lot, but it was anticlimactic in some aspects of it. Eddie, yourself? (sighs) A gladiator-type fight, evenly matched, perhaps. Each got their turn taking shots, you know, getting in there. A little bit of tension with... Thor trying to incorporate a Black Widow technique of calming down the Hulk, which at the beginning does seem to work, but then all of a sudden, no. Tossed around like a ragdoll. Living in a movie. Thank you, Steven Tyler. And reminiscent of, of course, Loki in the stands just shouting, shouting, yes, that's what it feels like because of the throwback to the first Avengers movie. Saying Banner's name to Hulk by Thor most probably enraged him more. Because as we all know, true believers, Banner, the name Banner, does not ring well in the Hulk's ears. Hulk hate Banner. Banner weak. Hulk strongest one there is. I would say it was really smart of them to include that, you know, element of the fight. Because it made up for what we didn't see in Civil War. Because remember, they didn't fight each other in Civil War because they weren't there. And they might have been able to fight each other. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that was a decision they had to make, and could we incorporate this many characters, and how much will that do? You already had the brief fight of Thor and Hulk, which was what? Reminiscent of the comics, The Defenders, issue number 10. At that point, I don't know if it's still an expensive comic book to... To buy, I think it cost me about ten bucks. Oh, so expensive! But at that point, when you're you're looking at a thirty cent comic book, ten dollars is you know is, is kind of steep. But that was you know a key issue kind of thing. Well, they're fighting each other. The superheroes are fighting each other. That's that's big deal. Mommy and daddy are fighting. So <laughs> green mommy and green or <laughs> green mo- daddy and and yeah and long haired mommy. Yeah, okay, fine. With muscles, wipe that out. <laughs> this this fight was. A great part of the movie established the characters more in in their roles. Hulk being completely serious with it, and Thor trying to be as lighthearted as he can, and and saying, uh, "Yes, we know each other. It's from work. It was a while ago, but it." And then later on, the the relationship continues to their benefit. He is able to get calm and become Banner, so we have some literal Mark Ruffalo time. But I thought it was a good That's fight. my favorite time of the day, Mark Ruffalo it's, time. It's not middle of time, but Mark Ruffalo time. It's clobbering time sometimes. With a Ruffalo. With a fortune cookie. Nope, I already said the fortune cookie line, Eddie. That was mine, mine, mine. And now I have one, too. Or three or four. So the How fight was very good. Just like candy. Mm. A vitamin to Benjamin tastes just like candy. The fight was very good. I thought it was done well. Uh, I didn't think you could have a clear winner. So, you know, reminiscent somewhat of the original fight in the Avengers, the two of them come together to defeat the Shatari, and in Grand Central Station, when they're side by side, all of a sudden Hulk punches Thor off screen. You know, you didn't have you didn't have that as much. I mean, yes, Hulk threw Thor across the arena, and and Thor got his shots in. 
so he held his own. But I would imagine ultimately it's tough. You you couldn't have a clear cut clear cut winner. I think they did it well, Frank. Uh, the long the long answer. Now, once again, Eddie, before we go, I also want to give a little bit of a thing to tell you people out there. If you go on Stitcher Radio at stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout, Marvelous, you're going to end up getting a free, that's right, free, one month of Stitcher Premium. And after that one month ends, if you want to stay on, you will be billed $4.99 a month. But personally, we think you should stay on because you get to listen to Wolverine the Long Night, which has been going on for the past couple of weeks. And it's just a great program. So, once again, go to Stitcher.com slash premium, and you can be able to listen to this show, other shows, including Wolverine the Long Night, on Stitcher Premium. So, before we go, Eddie, also go on Facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Go on Twitter at... The Marvelists. Give us a follow on there. Or individually at Peter Melnick, yourself at E Wilson nine five nine. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Marvelists. Also drop us an email. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, the marvelous at gmail.com. And there are some things on the way. We got interviews, we got this, we got that. Kind of excited. Eddie? You think? So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. I'm Eddie Wilson. And a thundering Mjolnir from Ragnarok with love. Excelsior! We need more questions. We need to be obsessed with Marvel more than ever before. We're up to 542, if only. Why did Peter and Mary Jane agree to make a deal with Mephisto to oh, end boy. their marriage. Can I finish asking it first, Mr. Oh, I know the answer. Good for you. To save New York City from destruction. No, to save Aunt May's life. That sounds like a winner. Yep. To make Peter's dual identity secret again. Or to bring Harry Osborne back to life. Slam dunk to save Aunt May's life, and I didn't even read it. Yeah. The answer is B, and that's exactly right, true believers. One moment in time. One more day. One more day. One moment in time. Are we going Whitney Houston on me all of a sudden? My thing is... That's an Olympic thing, isn't it? I love the concept, but the overall ending, man, that breaks my heart because you literally end my favorite relationship in comics. <laughs> it hurts, man. It hurts. Everybody hurts. R-E-N. Sometimes. That's right. Huh? 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 I'm traveling back now to... Traveling back forward. Which way am I going? Six, nine, eight... And you are an interesting man, Eddie Wilson. Sounds like a Charlie Brown misused title. Not used title. 698, did I say? Yes, I did. Into which series did the Richard Raleigh storyline in the spectacular Spider-Man magazine number one from 1968 cross over? Richard Raleigh storyline, spectacular Spider-Man magazine from 1968. What did it cross over? Daredevil? The Amazing Spider-Man, Marvel Team-Up, or Captain America? It's not Marvel Team-Up. That's number one. I'll tell you right there, right now. Richard Raleigh, storyline. I don't know the character. I'm sorry. In the Spectacular Spider-Man magazine, number one from 1968, crossover. Daredevil, The Amazing Spider-Man, or Captain America? Again, I don't think it's Marvel Team-Up. Got a guess? Not really sure. 
I don't know. Daredevil just jumped that at me, so I'm thinking perhaps my radar went off and said Daredevil. So, for lack of a better answer, let's go A. It's correct. Thank you, Eddie Sense. I love you. Without having a, a design a mechanically, a technologically advanced spider tracer on that one. One more, please, for the road. This is definitely making up for the last one. Oh, yes, it is. Because everybody couldn't be on remote site at uh, the comic book store. It would have been very crowded then, I think, with three of us. Or maybe four. Who knows? Thor? Four. Two, zero, three, one is the number. Who is Jack Russell's sister? Jack Russell. Do we know who that character is? I think I do. He's a werewolf by night. That's exactly right. Okay. But always seems, seems to keep that same pair of pants. Jack Russell's he sister. He gets them from the Hulk. Oh, no. Not the same size at all. Jack Russell's sister. Is it Lana, Lisa, Lissa, or Laura? Hmm. Jack Russell's sister. Lana, Lisa, Lissa, with two S's, or Laura? Well, it begins with an L and it ends with an A. We know that for sure. I think it's Laura, isn't it? Well, I'm not sure. I was going to go with Lana, but I will take your answer, Peter Melnick, and punch that in. It's not Laura. Dun, dun, dun. It's Charmin. Lissa. I would have been wrong anyway. That's all for now, True Believers. Thank you. Excelsior.